Emma and welcome to the Hopes and Dreams podcast. The journey to parenthood isn't always easy. For many, fertility can be one of life's greatest challenges. And in this podcast, we'll be talking to people with all different types of journeys, including stories of loss and grief, but also, and most importantly, of strength and hope. We'll talk openly about different experiences to provide you with advice, support and coping strategies and hopefully some comfort and to help you feel less alone. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2022 as we continue with season two. And this is a really powerful one and one that I thought was perfect for the start of the year. Today I'm joined by Susie Mosson. We have a mutual friend, actually Susie's best friend, Caroline, but I also saw Susie's story on last year's incredible Channel 4 documentary series, Baby Surgeons, Delivering Miracles, which Susie and her husband Andy were one of the couples the documentary followed. It told their incredible journey to extend their family, which covers over a decade, the multiple treatments, heartache, disappointment, silence with those Susie was closest to, the effect it had on their relationship and their marriage. Um, And in this episode, we'll cover all of that, as well as the desire for wanting more children, which I understand myself as well, and being determined that she would give her firstborn Henry a sibling. And as we'll find out, Susie and Andy got there, and they didn't just have one baby, they had three triplets. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming on, Susie. I've been really excited and looking forward to chatting to you at some point during the series, and I can't wait to talk to you more about your incredible story so thank you so much for coming on no problem no problem happy to be here and happy to um share my experiences with um many many other women and men out there yeah and 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 yours is incredible and a story of strength and and hope which is what the podcast is about so we'll get stuck in and as I said there's so much to cover in this conversation we could actually talk for hours I'm sure but it's true (laughs) yeah but but let's start at the beginning and what issues you found with trying to conceive your your first son, Henry, back in the early 2010s? Uh, well, that's the easy bit, really. <laughs> um, I'd been on the pill like um, loads of my friends, peers for 10 years, did the kind of standard um, 18 to 28 um, and then um, got married when I was 26, kind of lived life, got on with things and then was suddenly like, oh, you know, we really great you know try for a baby thinking it would just happen just like that as soon as I come off the pill and lo and behold of course it didn't um I had a number of investigations and it was really really clear that um I had polycystic ovaries but severe polycystic ovaries didn't really do anything about it at the time because I kind of I didn't know what to do or perhaps kind of denial um just kept trying and then ended up at the Lister in London um, in 2010 for sort of further investigations. But then everything else went really quickly and actually very straightforward. So in 2011, we had our first IUI. I was on um, Clomid to make me ovulate and our first IUI was successful. So from the, you know, like anyone that knows sort of the fertility hospitals and journeys and what it's all about, getting pregnant and having successful pregnancy on want your first round of IUI is almost the same as getting pregnant naturally really for someone that is pretty much you know infertile so um we were really lucky and um henry was born um in may 2012 um and everything was straightforward 
While it wasn't completely straightforward with Henry, the process worked quite smoothly, though, in terms of having your first baby. Yeah, yeah, certainly in like relative terms to fertility treatment, I'd say it really was. And it it felt like mild kind of interference in our lives almost. Obviously, don't get me wrong, it was daunting. And I think perhaps what helped is that I was the first of my friends to be starting kind of the whole process of having kids. Um, because we were kind of the first to get married no one else was quite there yet so I had no comparison um, which was very different obviously later on when we were trying again because by that point everyone was just popping out babies like you know left right centre um, and it seemed very easily so I had but at the time of Henry I had no comparison um, and I also didn't I don't know I was naive young a lot more hopeful and obviously nothing had gone wrong wrong up until that point I suppose other than obviously you know no one wants to be diagnosed with any form of fertility issue but I was also always told that you know polycystic ovaries is very common which it is but I'd not quite grasped how severely I had it but then you could argue was it that severe at that stage because I had Henry so easily so which is why what then happened later on will always remain a bit of a mystery. And then if we're thinking about what happened next, then mm-hmm. it really was, as we'll talk about in in a lot of detail, it, it really became very complicated and, and it just wasn't happening for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Henry was two. We did the usual, oh, you know, we'll probably just get pregnant naturally now because, you know, my, ki- my system had probably been kick-started, you know, like all these stories you hear. Um, I heard time after time after time, oh, you know, just get pregnant naturally. Um, it'll happen um, just like that and you won't be ready, blah, blah, blah. You won't need any fertility treatment. I honestly thought that would happen. So I actually left it sort of until, yeah, Henry's about two, two and a half. So roughly towards the end of 2014, I suppose it was. And then as we decided we wanted to try for a second baby, I kid you not, my periods just stopped. And I should probably just quickly go back to that. Actually, what's actually very important is that I never had regular periods. So even from I had my first period when I was 16, um, I had probably a few more between 16 and 18, not many. And that was the main reason why I went on the pill, because I just felt so didn't feel like a woman, really. And I I was worried about it. And I wanted that regularity. Um, I wanted a bit of control over it. So from obviously for those 10 years, I had an artificial cycle, clearly never had a proper cycle. It's just that for being on the pill so long, I wasn't aware of that. So when I came off, the same thing happened. I basically had very intermittent periods, had Henry, strangely got periods regularly for the first time in my life. And then as soon as I decided we would try for another baby, my periods stopped. I had nothing for six months. Um, It's like my head was completely affecting what my body was doing and then went to the list uh to lister again because obviously we we knew that wasn't a great sign and then started the uh very long journey (laughs) it's mental that I think maybe nowadays it's different but when when we were sort of growing up and you know your body changing and stuff I don't Mm. think people talked enough about what was happening with your body or not Not at all. I mean, it's the opposite now, right? Everyone, which is a great thing, everyone is talking a lot more freely about stuff like that. Probably not freely enough still, but 
no, back then it was just, you know, oh, go on the pill. All right, then. You know, you didn't think, I didn't think about what I was doing to my body. And perhaps I don't know this and I'm, I don't want to say something and someone take that as medically sound advice. But obviously what's always been in my mind is you know, if I hadn't been on the pill for 10 years, what I could have done sooner or whether that made things worse for me or, you know, there's always these what ifs. Um, and to think I was just um, going along for all those years, unaware that I obviously really did have some quite serious fertility issues you know you just everyone's got those what ifs in their mind but it's pointless now really to think like that but yeah I'd certainly think that if I was 18 now I'd probably think a bit differently about it but as you as we said like education is so different you you told like wear a condom don't get pregnant and you you, you have that fear for years like even in my 20s just fear of like oh god what if I get pregnant with someone I don't want to get pregnant with totally yeah I mean, I, we, we actually, after having Henry, I was freaking out because, you know, when everyone says you get super fertile, I, and I didn't want to get back on the pill. So we were using condoms, which was the hilarious thing. Because I was like, oh, no, but, you know, I can't suddenly get pregnant when he's only one. And, I mean, that's how deluded I was almost. It's just that hopefulness, isn't it? That's yeah, all. yeah. But then you had, and I don't know how easy it is to sort of describe the process, but then you had a number of years with, different processes happening and it just didn't it wasn't successful yeah so um it was so around 2015 um we started um IUIs again because obviously that worked before so why not you know you don't want to jump straight in for IVF that's for sure um we did a few of those that failed um about three of those and then we were advised that you know something was clearly different this time so and we we've never fully been told exactly but I guess it falls under the kind of secondary infertility sort of category but there's definitely the the theme that goes throughout all our failed cycles and failed transfers is that our embryo quality which is probably to do with my egg quality which was probably caused by my polycystic ovaries but again we don't know that for sure so we started IVF in the end had 26 eggs um so that was always the ironic thing I had like so many eggs so so many eggs that it was to my detriment so it was literally like finding a needle in a haystack because obviously having lots of eggs doesn't necessarily mean they're good quality eggs and the problem with IVF is that it's it was so hard to um use the kind of the stimulation in the right way the drug stimulation for my ovaries because a little bit too much would just send me over the edge and not enough wouldn't have any effect at all um they they described it as like if you gave a packet of crisps to like a class of 30 hungry children by the time you've got to the last child the first one's hungry again and that was the same with my hormones and my follicles like there wasn't enough to stimulate them because there were so many that each month that's probably why an egg wasn't being released they weren't doing what they were supposed to do because there just wasn't enough of the right hormone to go around so I always visualize like my uh, ovaries as a load of kids in a classroom eating crisps <laughs> um not ovaries sorry um follicles um I mean god it's so complex but yeah the first round failed I got ovarian hyperstimulation um had a failed fresh transfer and then no decent embryos were left from all 26 eggs. 
Um, so quite a lot would fertilise, always a high number would fertilise, and then they just slowly deteriorate over that awful five-day wait, as anyone that's had IVF will know, like the worst, well, one of the worst five-day periods of the whole thing, which is where you're waiting to find out whether they're going to um, develop into, um, well, blastocysts, ideally, but into a viable embryo that can then be transferred. So then we tried again. Um, they got 30 eggs. Um, again, I got sort of mild ovarian hyperstimulation, but by mild, it's still frigging agony and makes you feel horrific. My stomach was like, looked like I was five months pregnant. They did a frozen transfer because I was so poorly and that didn't work. Um, and then got to get this right. And then I think I had another transfer later after that. So each time there was two put, put back in and that led to a really early chemical miscarriage, um, like around sort of seven weeks. And then I had no embryos left from that either. So just after two rounds, they'd taken around sort of 55, 56 eggs and I had nothing. And had obviously forked out a load of cash and had been pretty unwell. And and was that your first miscarriage? Yeah, first and only actually, um, because my difficulty was just not being able to get pregnant. You know, it's a strange thing to say, but that was the only sort of good thing, if you could put it like that, that came out of all my complications is that although I had the awfulness of not being able to get pregnant I can only you know imagine what it's like for women and I know you've been through it a lot that can get pregnant but can't keep the pregnancy I mean it's all just a load of shit isn't it whatever way you cut it it's horrific but yeah we uh, that was literally the only pregnancy until obviously our most recent successful one but the thing is as you say it's all shit so you know yeah. like for me yeah I can get pregnant but my body somehow doesn't see apart from my first daughter it yeah. doesn't it doesn't manage to hold on but for you the frustration of why isn't it working with so you know it's nearly 60 eggs yeah and then no and, yeah. ha, ha, and with no embryos left you must have felt really deflated at that point yeah you just can't believe it and I think that was the other you kind of with IVF I suppose you sort of there's always that oh but you know well when you get that number of eggs, you think you'll have at least a few attempts with those embryos to have transfers. And the first time when we found out there were none left, we just thought it was almost like a freak kind of accident, just a one-off. You know, there'll be an explanation. And once we've got that explanation, they'll know how to solve it. Um, an embryologist did look at it and everything. And there was kind of mixed views. I remember one day we were sat in a room with the lead embryologist and the lead doctor and they couldn't actually agree on what to do next I mean this was a bit further on down the line I've kind of jumped ahead but we were always weren't always but we were tending to become that couple that left the doctors a bit sort of perplexed which is kind of the worst possible feeling um to the point where we had a doctor say you know if you've got all the money in the world Susie I'll get you pregnant I was like hmm that's not really what I want to hear because that's basically a way of saying you can't get me pregnant but like I mean what is what he's even saying <laughs> saying that and I felt so deflated and nobody wants to leave doctors kind of looking like mm, we've run out of options here um, and that's sort of what it began to feel like and you feel uh, as a woman you feel totally inadequate it's like, why can't I do the most basic thing that we're put on earth to do? 
And in fact, I'm actually really fucking it up because I'm actually producing eggs and embryos, albeit in a false like um, setting, but they're there and then they're not there. Like, that's not what IVF is supposed to be, I thought. You know, I was just literally like, but, but IVF, like, but there's a guarantee you're going to get a baby at the end of it, surely. You pay all that money to get the eggs, you know, they uh, fertilise them in the lab, blah, 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 Bob's your uncle, but it just it just wasn't panning out that way. How was your mental health at that point? Uh, by that point, I guess, after the first um, two failed runs, that's when it was starting to really show its strain I think because so many things go around in your head you know there is that desperation and I do think the more well naturally I'm pointing out the obvious but the more you do and it fails obviously the more you want it I just was so it's all I thought about sometimes um and I found that really hard with Henry because when I say it's all I thought about I was so I used to see him with, you know, other friends like um, babies and toddlers and how wonderful he was with them, like truly wonderful. Now I'm sure like, you know, every child is like that, but I was just obviously fixated on seeing how he was with them. And I just thought I'd make perfect big brother or sister. Why can't I give him that? Um, And as for like Andy and I, like we just did the classic like, stop talking to each other about it even though it was only happening to him and I and we should have been the two people that were talking but every time we would talk it would just be such a reminder of what we were going through that it just became easier to not talk I would talk to friends um and oh my god my friends have been the most patient wonderful friends I could ever wish for they really really have been with me through it all and probably when I've been a total shit sometimes and I've been jealous of them like popping out their second third babies and I have been that person where I've I've had to leave somewhere crying because I've just found out they're pregnant again and then I've reflected on it and sort of sent a message or done something to try and make up for my unbelievably childish selfish behavior that I just couldn't help because it just felt like it was happening to everyone else. And then I'd feel this immense, immense guilt for Henry and I'd go upstairs and like cuddle him um, when he's in bed. And because it's, it's, it, it's so hard to explain. And I know you will understand this completely, Emma, because it's like the guilt is it's like, it's worried that it's being perceived that they're not enough. Yeah. Um, and actually they're everything. They've yeah. become almost more than anything, like, because, you know, you're you're able to have that time and focus on them. And I think it's just incredibly hard. And I would regularly sort of feel like I was saying to people and having to justify it and be like, it's really not. I, I just think he'd make a, a, an amazing big, big brother. Um, he's got so much love to give, you know. And how, you know, I wanted sort of a, a busy, loud household for him. And I'm worried that the silence of me being, you know, in a mood when around doesn't work and what if he's, you know, noticing that silence and he's hating me for the silence and he's hating me because I can't give him a sibling. Like all these things would go round and round in my head. And I really, really struggled with that. Part of me sort of wants to say that I regret being like that. And if I could turn back time, I would do it differently 
but then I don't know whether I'd be able to. I think it just has such a effect on you, whether it's you're trying to have one child, so for someone that has no children, or whether it's to have a second child. I'm not saying, I don't want to say it's completely the same, because I'm very conscious that there's so many women out there that would listen to this and are desperate to just have one child so I really really and that's the other thing that's the guilt sorry would always think like that be like but I've got a child I've got a child there's women with no children shut up Susie stop the negative thoughts get on with your life dust yourself off get back up shut up and get on with it and I would for a bit and then I'd be like something would just trigger a thought and I'd be like oh god but you know wouldn't it be so nice to just have one more child? Am I being greedy asking for one more child? And it's just the way I felt. I couldn't I couldn't stop it. And lots of people don't want children, which is completely and utterly okay and normal. And lots of people just want one child. Some people want six. You know, it's, it's, it's sad because we feel like we've got to apologise it for it. But it's just, you know who we are and it's subjective and it's it's individual but I guess the problem was my journey was so because I am a sharer and I would talk to my friends about it and share that with them and my family that then I also couldn't hide my emotions very well when it wasn't going right or when I was faced with someone else's wonderful wonderful news that another life was coming on to the planet and when I would reflect and calm down, I would truly feel that. And I'd meet that baby and find it amazing and get that joy from them and feel happy for them. But um, I used to like walk with my head down into the playground sometimes when, you know, we'd had like just finished a failed cycle and be like, you know, can't have eye contact with anyone or can't can't look at that pregnant woman. Um, oh, no, God, there's another pregnant woman. Like, they're everywhere, you know, like. It would just be, and it would feel like that at times, that everyone had what I didn't have or what I wanted. Well, that's it, isn't it? And and Mm. then you feel so guilty for feeling that, as you say. Mm. But it is painful to hear that someone's got something. And it's because it's not because you're not happy for them. You just want it for yourself. And you're like it's my time too and and I've, I I was sitting here thinking oh my god I feel like I'm listening to myself with hearing you talk about mm. um Henry with other children my, my daughter's exactly the same she lo- she's very motherly with like little children and mm. I don't know I find it really painful seeing pictures of siblings hugging in photos or because I'm like oh and she does she, I mean I have a stepson so she does have a sibling but I really yeah. wanted a, another a little brother or sister for her that I I'd, I'd had and to have yeah. that too and I yeah. and I understand that yearning you know I wish I felt I was done I had a yeah. chat with my yeah. friend the other day that who's just had a baby and she or a year ago and she's like no I know I'm done I was mm. like oh I wish I had that feeling but I don't yeah and that, and that's the thing I think you can't you can't control it like all of this you can't switch off that that emotion just like that I would try god I really really would try and sometimes it would work but sometimes it wouldn't and I think as well, like the problem was as well, it was bringing a lot of other stuff down, you know, like my relationship with Andy and things like that. And obviously, you know, we were like putting a lot, you know, debt onto credit cards and stuff like that. And I think all of that doesn't help you to have a, a positive attitude <laughs> um, all the time. 
it's quite exhausting and obviously yeah there were like you know the knock-on effects of all these things and like many women are now talking so openly about IVF and saying like it's not just the the IVF as a process in itself that's difficult it's everything else and the kind of the aftershock of that event particularly if it doesn't work out well the financial strain of it because as you said you know you've done so many cycles so physically you've gone through so many treatments which has an effect on your body and your and your mind and then added on top of that the financial strain of of all the money that you're spending on adding to the disappointment and worry about oh it's not worked and I've got to spend all this more money on it do we keep throwing money at this is it going to work yeah I mean it's a it's a crazy there's there's nothing like remember I used to like feel there's nothing in life I can't think of anything throw everything at it and there's like everything so you're you know physically mentally financially everything and you can walk away with nothing Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything that where you wouldn't walk away with even just like a little bit of something, whether it's a sense of achievement or you've learned something or like, I don't know, but there's just, to me, there's nothing that you get from it if it fails except loss and the feeling of loss. And failure. And failure. God, yeah, yeah. And every time it would fail, I felt that, you know, it's me, like I've not been able to give Andy another child I'm not being able to give Henry a sibling mm-hmm. so yeah where you basically burn through money and then you also feel crap because obviously your body has taken a bit of a beating from the whole IVF itself so you've got to recover after that and none of it is also great for your mental health in itself even if you were incredibly mentally at your most mentally kind of strength peak if that even makes sense before it during it and after it I think you know no one's invincible and I think anyone you know you just just everything takes a battering yeah but we didn't give up and we changed hospitals had more investigations some were worrying that would then kind of not lead to anything new and then all would be inconclusive um and we try different things like growth hormones we got 36 eggs was our most out of around that we got and I was really poorly after that oh god I can I I think I couldn't walk properly for weeks my ovaries were huge um absolutely huge because they just all the follicles had filled back up so they removed the eggs and I'm sure the growth hormone had something to do with it but they were just so overstimulated that my ovaries just went (laughs) There's no way I was getting a fresh transfer then. And I was starting to have this kind of feeling that like frozen wasn't working because every time they were freezing any and they were already, bear in mind, not the best embryos. And I just felt like common sense would say that freezing a poor to average quality embryo and then thawing it probably isn't going to work out brilliantly. And it tended not to. I mean, we had another frozen transfer, didn't work out had about four left and we gave up we were like that's it can't do anymore bear in mind at that hospital the first question the doctor asked us was is your marriage strong enough for this and we were like yeah uh just looked at each other we were both like yeah this is andy and susie you know we're you know we're magic we're sorted like what are you talking about and he was like well i have to ask because 
you know, a lot of relationships. I mean, he was brutal. He was like, you know, don't get through this. And if you're not strong, this won't work. That was kind of, I don't know. I think we both were very naive about it. We're like, yeah, we're fine. We're strong. We can do this. That round obviously failed. So we're like three failed, very expensive rounds because they had to give me so many different forms of medication. And it was ICSI this time. Um, we had, you know, everything like um, an embryo scope, every single investigation you could imagine. So we stopped it. And then we struggled for a bit, really. We really did. We kind of, and it's funny, that's, it's all a bit of a blur sort of after that in terms of timings of like, but we just sort of grew apart, um, really grew apart um, and didn't handle it very well at all. Um, because we'd already stopped sort of communicating about the right things to each other, that just became a bit of a habit. And I think we were both a bit depressed after it, actually, but didn't do anything about it. Didn't talk to anyone. Didn't have any relationship counselling. We just kind of went on a bit sort of, I don't know, just we were almost strangers about it, even though we should have been the closest about it so I'd go and like call a friend or something confide in them but not Andy because I just couldn't face it neither of us if we talked to each other it was like we were looking in the mirror at failure and we couldn't handle it and that obviously that was really really dangerous for our relationship and I think the other thing was because again we felt so much for Henry because we made the decision it was done we were like right this is like you know we are a unit of three, except we weren't really working as a unit then. But we would try and make sure Henry had no... Obviously, he was very young, knew nothing about like the IVF and the strain certainly put on me health-wise. I hid it all from him um, because I had this sort of obsession that he couldn't see me weak and fragile. I'm still like that now, actually. I think it's just the way I am. But I didn't want him to have like an inkling of what had been going on you know I just in my mind I was like one day it was almost going to be this kind of magical like moment of here's your brother and sister <laughs> like completely romanticized it in my head so I think again at the time like we were really really throwing everything into you know naturally and rightly so into our love sort of for Henry and weren't being very nice to each other and then obviously like with anything like that it just exploded pretty much and we realized we need to do something about it so I got therapy we got relationship we got um marriage counseling he got therapy um and I know not everyone necessarily believes in it but it really 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 did help massively helped um I needed to talk through so much he did on his own without me and we had to as a couple because there's stuff that we just not dealt with at all uh, it, yeah it, it was like priceless you, like you know it was completely the right thing for us to do um and we decided that obviously we weren't going to do any more IVF and as we went through this whole process of sort of putting our time and effort and energy into like our relationship, obviously our unit is a family of three, but we had to sort of focus on our relationship a lot as well. 
we found that everything just started to improve and make sense again a bit and I felt stronger we felt stronger as a couple and I felt more accepting of our decision and I felt sort of strong for the first time in a long time I think because it was everything was so close to the edge you know our marriage was almost done basically in pieces and when you get that close to it but you're able to build it back up it does make you feel like you can cope with more weirdly got some perspective over things because obviously it should never have got to that point but we we fixed it and we got the help that we needed and then a year later we moved house and then it was December 2019 we were like both just sort of randomly looked at each other I don't know how it happened and I will never truly remember we basically decided we want to give it one last go sound like nut like nutters after everything I just said but I think it was a combination of things like um, I had a friend who's painting my nails who went to this last hospital that we were successful at and said and she had three successful pregnancies there after years and years of it never ever working she said do you not want to just give it a go here go on just give it a go I reckon it'll work for you works for everyone I know everyone I know just go and give it a go so it's it's full-on it will be the most full-on protocol you've ever done you'll be there every day twice a day but give it a go and then I told Andy about it and he was like maybe we should and then we decided we were going to try the beginning of the following year and it and it and it did work (laughs) yeah yeah so they their treatment there is it, it is radical it's a lot of it is about like immune based therapy so um there's a lot of sort of work that's been going on around um, women that have, basically it's like women, so women that are miscarrying or maybe even women that can't get pregnant, the body is rejecting the embryo early on in the pregnancy. So it's almost attacking the embryo. So it's giving you the right antibodies to not do that, almost like, you know, a virus or whatever and how um, the body's immunity works to that. So they have this immune therapy if you have a certain elevated levels for these things, which I, I did. Um, so I was um, given, like, it's like a, a protein on a drip um, for a series, like a series of those over sort of the beginning of um, the IVF and the beginning of the pregnancy. So that could have been what made it work. I think my mindset, I was just, I think, because after everything we've been through, I was determined not to have any negative thoughts. I also realised it wasn't everything. I had a wonderful, wonderful family at home and that if it didn't work out, we'd be okay. So I had perspective, which I hadn't always had before. And I really believe that. And I'm sure, probably, I feel like that's why it worked, because... I didn't make it everything. Although obviously it was the most full-on IVF cycle we'd done in terms of um, the drug protocols and everything. I mean more from a mental point of view and actual physical point of view. I didn't do anything different. I didn't stop eating certain foods. Um, I didn't do anything different 
to my normal everyday life. In fact, I did stop exercising altogether. I normally run if I can. I didn't bother. I just literally, uh, I created a playlist on my Spotify that was like crazy, naff, tacky, upbeat tunes that I would purposely listen to every time I was on my way to the hospital because it was a train and a tube journey. And I would just listen to that music. I would zone out and I would just try and constantly think positive thoughts because I had to put it, I had to put it in perspective more and see it as just one little part of my life rather than, you know, it affecting everything and being everything. Mm. But then it comes becomes more manageable then, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's easy easier to sort of, the little steps rather than seeing the big picture. And it's so hard not to constantly see the mm. big picture. And I think as women, we do that anyway in every aspect of our life. And for this, it... Yeah, because it is everything that means so much, but just to try and... Totally, and I think that's the bit that goes back to, you know, like how you feel. Like when you've got a husband at home, you know, some women sit in these hospitals with no partner doing it all alone. And when you've got a child at home, and again, some women sit in these hospitals with no children, and they've got files on their lap that are so thick with, you know, all the investigations and failed cycles they've had. I just just felt I'd matured a bit really obviously you know hindsight is a great thing I think even the thing with IVF the more failed cycles you have each cycle failed cycle is like a diagnostic tool for the next cycle so you could argue obviously our fourth fifth cycle had a stronger chance of working because they had more to go on in terms of what didn't work and I guess the same goes for me and and mentally I'd, I'd seen what impact it had had you know on me and realized this time I couldn't be like that again but I don't know I just sort of I guess I just decided to change my mindset so much and hope that that change would alter our future somehow and our fate but if it didn't everything would be okay and I think it's that point which you said earlier which I'll go back to about when you've done so many rounds of IVF and IVF, you're like, I can't, I've got to keep going because it must mean something that I've done. And I'm the same with, I mean, I I can't have had five miscarriages. I have to keep going Mm. to get that happy ending at the end because there has to be a reason I've gone through all this pain or challenge to get to this point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the, and that's what I mean going back to like, there's nothing like this in, in life really that can so easily end up totally out of your control or at least feel like that and I think a lot of people struggle with that aspects of it and that you cannot control the 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 process certainly you can't really control the outcome and I mean that generally from a like you know it's not going to be because you like a glass of wine or because you smoked when you were 18 or because you know you've had 20 partners or something like you know all these things that like and I mean like sexual partners like there's you you try to look for a cause like with anything in your life that fails and you try so that you can find a solution and I just feel with a lot of this that's not necessarily what's going to happen even though it's a lot of it is science I just don't I still now don't necessarily feel that and that's why I'm just going with the romantic ideas that we were in a good place. I 
listen to Kelly Clarkson and whoever else on the way walking to the hospital. And, you know, who knows? But you had you had triplets, three boys. Three boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so some people maybe that isn't how they'd want it to work out. But no, it's um crazy but wonderful. Yeah. A boy squad, a whole boy squad with Henry as well. Yeah, even a boy cat. I mean it's and everyone goes, Oh, you should get a dog. It's like you're having a laugh. Oh my God. And more poo to clear up. <laughs> so what what is it like having triplets? crazy totally crazy um yeah I mean it's I mean they're 16 months so we we, you'd think that we should be used to it but I don't know whether we'll ever like fully like I just find myself staring at them saying like thinking how are there three babies like how how has that how has that happened but you know it was a short pregnancy which is what was so strange because I had them seven and a half weeks early so I had them for I was pregnant for less than seven months which is crazy in itself in lockdown so I was going to every scan um, on my own including the one where they found the third heartbeat so I was on my own so I had to text Andy who was in the car outside with Henry because obviously this is in like the really serious initial lockdown where we couldn't even get childcare for Henry so we'd all have to drive up to London together and I had to text him as a third heartbeat um I um, want to say I, I want to know what his reaction text was to that, or did he wait till he saw you? It was literally what the fuck. <laughs> that was it. WTF? Yeah, it was WTF. <laughs> um, because we knew we couldn't talk in the car because obviously I was only like seven weeks pregnant, and yeah. we didn't want to tell Henry about something that early on that might not work out. Um, it's like I can't sit in silence for an hour and a half, so I'm gonna have to text him. And yeah, and I mean, you know, their immediate advice was to have a reduction that women can't carry three babies. It was a really negative reaction. Um, but I guess, you know, they were maybe looking out for my health because it, it is and it was a really complex pregnancy. I should say they put two embryos back in and one split. And obviously we'd had so many times where two had been put back in. So we really didn't think anything of it. Um, we were like, well, even if one takes, it'll be a miracle. So it was really, really, really unexpected, particularly as well, because our embryos were usually poor quality. So for both to have taken was, you know, unbelievably like surprising. Then <laughs> that was it. I don't really know where I'd go from there, except a very crazy short pregnancy and obviously scary one. Um as you mentioned in the document about the documentary, we had to have um, a procedure that amazingly saved their lives, um, and and here we are now, sixteen months later. Well, you must have been completely, you know. I think having, even though you'd only, not only, it's not only, but even though you'd just experienced one a chemi- one chemical miscarriage, mm. because you'd had so much disappointment going through procedures in the past it must have were you how was your anxiety levels having you know multiple pregnancy when you'd been through such a journey was it and then obviously as the documentary showed and you had to have a procedure done with mm. with the boys how how did you manage your anxiety during that time um I think I was more distracted by covid <laughs> which sounds crazy but I think it was probably a dis, like a displacement thing because that was just like it, it literally coincided exactly the same timing of me finding out triplets was like the first week of lockdown 
and I I was worried about that I was worried you know god what if I catch it and they didn't know at the time what it would uh, impact it would have on um, unborn babies and the mother I think it was obviously such a sort of it was a really fragile nerve-wracking pregnancy that I didn't really do anything and obviously we're in a lockdown um, I homeschooled Henry so that worked out fine I, you know I'd sit with him and try not to be sick but at least I could be there like with him and actually I look back on it in a weirdly fond it's a fond time because it felt very like I don't know Andy being at home and he wouldn't normally be working from home and we were having that sort of I don't know quality time as a three um before something three major things were about to come into our lives (laughs) So don't get me wrong, obviously the pandemic and everything has been awful for everyone and particularly people that have had really sort of tragic stories. But I think it was just such a surreal time in our lives in many ways. And then when things became complicated with, we got twin to twin transfusion syndrome, which is where the identical twins, one starts to get too much of everything and the other too little because obviously their, their blood circulation is all joined because of the same placenta. And that was terrifying, like, because it felt like that that was going to be our moment gone. So 16 weeks pregnant and we've finally had success and then potentially about to lose them all because that was the risk. But if we didn't have the procedure, the twins would certainly um, die. And that may then in turn affect um, the other baby. So a really, really strong chance where I'd just miscarry altogether. So we had to make some difficult decisions like to not have a reduction early on, which is where you remove one of the pregnancies. So whether it was the um, identical twins or non-identical or whether to even not have the procedure because there's a risk in having the procedure itself, which they laser uh, some of the blood vessels basically. Um, they go into the abdomen and we decided we had to go through with that because I think the statistic we were given was there was a 92% chance that the babies wouldn't survive so we had no choice um, and we did it and it and it worked Um, we had a week where I had to lie in bed after it to try not to miscarry basically and then we went for a scan seven days after the procedure and there were three heartbeats and everything was back to normal. I remember watching that programme and being in awe of, like, uh, Professor Baskey. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. He's Absolutely amazing. And and the other do- the other doctors and just be like... And also mm. in awe of the parents having to make... Like, you guys having to make really difficult decisions. And in other yeah. cases of the couples on there having to... Oh, no, I know, I know. I feel so self-conscious of that, though, because we... You know, we were like lucky ones that came out at the end of it and not everyone obviously, you know, had that. And I was very conscious that, you know, I wanted it to be dealt with in a sensitive way. And I think it I think it was, I think the documentary was made like, um, you know, in a very sensitive way. But I felt very aware that we came out of it in the end with three babies um, and not everyone did. Um, and I didn't want that to seem like that we were ungrateful for that and I and that's actually why I feel like telling our story is important because that's the new guilt I feel now of course which is 
my God, I have four children, you know, how do I have four children? People with no children. There's people with one child that, you know, like you and your journey where I've been that are listening to me thinking, you know, bloody lucky cow, she can't complain about anything. And that's the other thing. I feel like I can't complain. Don't moan. Don't have a bad day. Don't say that they're doing your head in because you wanted this, Susie, and you've got it and you're here. And there's people that are, you know, having those awful moments where they walk out of the hospital and they have bad news or being told that they have a low egg reserve and that they may need an egg donor or being told that, you know, um, the baby hasn't grown and that the pregnancy won't be able to continue. Like so many, so many awful, awful, awful things, awful things. But that's that guilt is a is a because I'm sat here thinking I'm not thinking at all lucky cow that she's got <laughs> she's got her triplets so I'm absolutely in awe of you and that and and inspired that you didn't give up and kind of gives me you know we've probably got one last throw of the dice ourselves so it's inspired yeah. me to think it can but also at the same time preparing myself mm. for what life would look like if it, if it doesn't happen like 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 you were doing and yeah and I think it's that thing we've talked about it already but it's not feeling guilty for wanting another baby because that's what you wanted and that's okay to want mm. that I think yeah yeah it is it is it's such a hard one and I think I think like you just said actually it's like that the, the healthiest way of approaching it is to like you know there's no right or wrong in life about there's no rule book that says you know you can only want this or you know or, or that this is all you will have unfortunately like so it's all like a gamble. And I think the main thing is, is as I learned as the years went on, is like, you know, that, and like you just said, like you, to accept that what you still have, if it doesn't work out, is wonderful in so many ways. To get to that point, which is hard to get to. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't love our firstborn any less at all, at all. Um, it's just, it's about the whole family unit thing. Um, and I think trying to get into a headspace that's like still incredibly lucky if this doesn't work out is, is the hardest bit of all. It's the hardest bit. It's harder than any ovarian hyperstimulation or the, the pain you feel after whatever aspect it might be of your failed pregnancy. It's the mental challenge, I think probably. Yeah biggest the biggest thing yeah. fighting that in yourself definitely yeah and so finally Susie what what how did you not give up what what kept you going you know a decade almost a decade is such a long time to keep picking yourself up mm. off the floor work through it with your partner as you said like you know you're dealing with it in your own way and you're having your own grief but then trying to support one another it's not surprising that you're not able to do that I've I've been there too mm. but I'm I'm sure there will be other listeners who are on on listening to the podcast that have had you know a similarly long journey where they're like how do I what what kept you going or um I guess obviously like that that desire and god so many things how do I put it in a way that I think I guess because I it went through a stage of where it, I did stop so I guess I feel like it was kind of a second chapter. It was almost no, like a it's like a, a fresh new book, probably for me, our final cycle. So in a way, I feel like it's unfair if I sort of claim that I just kept on, kept on going, um, because we did have a big break, 
and it stopped and we put it to bed <laughs> or at least we thought but I, maybe that's why we then carried on going as you put it because I had a bit of a sort of a refocus I had a bit of a talking to myself or a lot of talking to myself um, and reflection rather than just that like autopilot of like another round try again you know like I'm sure you feel all right you know like ovulation sticks again or whatever it might be or you know uh my period's due in a few days right this is our plan like it's everything is timed isn't it with fertility everything so even if you're doing a round in three months time those 12 weeks are literally like every day is an important day leading up to it and it's actually a really unhealthy way of living life because you're not actually fully living life you're living life by a calendar and a piece of paper and and time that's the other thing you feel guilty about that you're not in the moment with your yeah. child yeah yeah <laughs> and enjoying that as much as you could be even though you are oh totally yeah and I'd have moments where I'd like be with Henry and he'd say something and I'd like have to quickly make an excuse and disappear and burst into tears <laughs> because he'd say something like you know and he'd be like age four and sort of say oh I wish I had a brother or sister yeah it's not fair and you know like it's only four like I needed to put it in perspective that, that and kids uh, say these things and don't necessarily even know what it means certainly don't know and don't say it because they know it upsets you and I'd feel awful but I just literally had to sort of tiptoe off and have my moment pull myself together and uh get myself back in the room literally and um metaphorically because I didn't want it to let it consume me, even though it did at times. Um, and that's why I had to reset. Although in resetting, I didn't know it was a reset. I thought that was end of. And I think it was a combination of like, it was one of those, like I said, the conversation I had with my friend doing my nails. It was just one random day. And what she said just made me realise maybe I hadn't exhausted all options. It was a new hospital that we'd not been to before. They're very successful with older women, usually women that have complex fertility problems. They ask that you're in the hospital twice a day um, in the real thick of your IVF cycle because they do your bloods twice a day. So for me, I thought, well, that's perfect because with polycystic ovaries, you're having constant hormonal fluxes. So what it might read one day could be totally different by that evening but by which point if you've not monitored that but you've already taken your next drugs you know your overstimulation it, it's too late so I was like okay well that actually sounds perfect for me and I was like I don't care if I have to be in twice a day because that's the other thing it comes like with this sort of big caveat of like it's really invasive you know do you have that time to give up to be waiting in London for two blood tests a day blah 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 and we talked through all that um, and I parked my work for a bit and we just thought this is our last shot. We throw everything at it. And it was my job at that point. That was my job for a month. And I'd go in and take my music. I'd go and have a coffee at the same cafe after every first blood test. And then I'd go back for my second and then I'd jump on the train get Henry from school and I'd 
do it again the next day. And I, I don't know, I was able to block a lot of the crap out and I don't really know how. <laughs> I mean, obviously not all of it. I'd be lying if like I wasn't still having, you know, some very concerning thoughts that it wasn't going to work. But throughout most of it, I just really try to stay upbeat and see it as almost a life experience rather than an affliction. And I think I always kind of saw it as an affliction, which is such a negative way of looking at it. And I sometimes think, no wonder it didn't work. I was so negative all the time. No, but I think that's a good way to see it, is is try to see it as a stage and also know that you've put everything behind it to know that if it doesn't work, you know that you've tried everything to make mm. it work, mm. thrown everything at it. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I feel because the last round that we had done that didn't work, when the doctor said, you know, is your marriage strong enough for another round? I don't think our marriage was strong enough at that point. I think we should have invested some sort of time on us, but we kind of just rushed into it. And I think that was an error, really, in hindsight. The last successful round that we did, I think, because we went in so aligned as a couple, so strong, talked about it all the time um, in a healthy way. And we were ready to accept the failure together if it failed. And like everything, like the language changed. So even like with the nurses there, it's like, we will get you pregnant when you're pregnant. Now, I know that sounds incredibly naff and a lot of people would probably hate that. But I needed that at that point in time because it was just constant, like positive influence and thought being put on me that I was also trying to do to myself and as silly as it sounds about making a playlist like I've everyone that I come across that's doing IVF or some form of fertility treatment I tell them to do that because I would sit before and listen to like you know blooming like radiohead god knows what like awful depressing well not awful music but depressing stuff because I wanted to wallow you know on the train on the way back I wanted to wallow in it oh, why is this happening to me? Why is it not working? Blah, blah, blah. And that was, wasn't healthy. Well, Kelly Clarkson helped. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember the song. I think it's Strong, her song, probably. It's, honestly, banger. It's, That's a banger. <laughs> yeah. It's a pro- and then, um, my God, oh, well, I'll share it with you, but um, don't judge me. But, yeah. <laughs> we won't. No judging here. Well, I think Kelly Clarkson is a is a good spot to sort of wrap up our chat. And I think you you and Andy, incredibly strong couple. Um, I, I knew that you would be a wonderful guest. Um, oh, I've you. been totally inspired. I was inspired hearing about you from Caroline, but and then watching the program and what you've been through is utterly incredible I think you deserve triplets like that well <laughs> I know it's hard work I can't imagine we heard one of the little one of the little boys um at the start of our chat having um yes. waking up and yeah, Andy's on yeah. duty tonight exactly. but yeah I, I might I might be... I might drag this out for as long as possible and just stay in here it's quite nice <laughs> yeah, hide away but yeah. um I know it must be extremely challenging having triplets as well as a, as a nine-year-old but you've got that loud busy house that you yeah, hope for after yeah. all this time and that's amazing and thank you for sharing you know all the experiences and journey that, that you've no, been not through. At all. I mean I think I just want to sort of say as well I think what you're doing is amazing I think um, because you're sharing what 
you're going through and have gone through as well. And I think there is still a, I wouldn't say stigma so much with it anymore, but I know a lot of people don't like to talk about it. I've met a lot of people that don't like to talk about their own um, fertility sort of journey and, and problems. And I, I, that makes me sad for them because I know how, you know, they must be in such turmoil inside um, and their partners. And I think if you, which I'm sure you're doing, can like encourage or um, motivate someone to talk about what they're going through, whether it's to a stranger or a friend or a family member, then I think that's such an achievement. And that's why I don't mind sort of talking about such personal things as well, because I think we all feel if we know that someone else has been through what we're going through, it just makes you feel so much better, particularly if it works out. But even yeah. if it doesn't work out, you're, you know, you're normal. You're not a freak. This has happened to someone else before and probably time and time again, and you will be okay. And I just think it's so important that women particularly, are, you know, in it together for that reason. Yeah, and help each other through so you realise you're not alone and as you yeah. say that you're not going mental and that all, exactly. your feel- all your feelings are valid, whatever they are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. It's been lovely, 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 lovely chatting to you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the Hopes and Dreams podcast. I hope you found it helpful and indeed hopeful. Susie mentioned a lot of things during our chat, so I'll make sure they're in the show notes. And do remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, the Hopes and Dreams podcast, and let us know what you'd like for future episodes. And we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.